LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. Welcome to The One Thing. The One Thing's a podcast designed to give you one practical gospel-centered ministry tip every week. And today's episode's a bit of a special one. I got the chance to catch up with Ed Stetzer. He's been in Sydney speaking uh, with Lausanne and with Exponential Australia uh, around the East Coast primarily, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And I had the chance just to ask him what's changed particularly over the last 10 years since he last visited Australia. And it's not so much him looking at all the different little bits and pieces that have changed in Australian culture, but what's changed in the church planning landscape and the church landscape. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ed. Uh, I found it particularly uh, stimulating and enjoyable. Let's take a listen. Uh, it's been, it has been a while. I think last time you spoke to us on the podcast, you were working with Lifeway, uh, a great research. It's like two jobs book ago. Seller, <laughs> bookseller ago. So what have you been up to in the interim? Yeah. <laughs> Get us up to speed back in Australia. We're a little bit slower down here. You no, know? you're not. Australia's amazing. <laughs> the technology here is like far above American stuff. Anyway, uh, so I am still, I, for seven years, I've been the dean at uh, the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership at Wheaton College. Been a professor there at Wheaton College, leading the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. But I have recently announced that I am moving closer to Australia, from Chicago to LA, so I could be closer to Australia. One plane trip away. Now. One plane trip away. It's true. Only it's true. 15 hours, but one, pl- one plane trip Only, away. Exactly. I've just taken that. So we're actually here in Australia recording this, which is awesome. So yeah, so so I'm going to be the, the dean at the Talbot School of Theology. We got. We already got lots of students, like dozens and dozens of students in Australia, lots of other places. But I'll be at the Talbot School of Theology, dean and professor there. Now, Ed, it's been a while since you've been last here. Can you tell us what are some of the changes you've seen since you were last here? Yeah, well, of course, you know, I, I would be very careful not to consider myself an, an expert or even a knowledgeable person about church planning in Australia. I listen to people like you and others who are engaged in church planning. So some changes I've seen, uh, one is Geneva Push is no longer called Geneva Push. So there's one change, which I like. Um, the Reach Australia sounds, sounds good. Um, I, I would say two things kind of stick out. Uh, one is the, um, the, the transition to a, a much more secular environment. So so it's been, you know, it's been 10 years, you're about 10 percentage points less in the percentage of self-identified Christian to now you're a minority Christian nation. And that even that is relatively new, but it is, um, it is the, the growing reality that we're living in a, you know, in America, people say post-Christian and I'm like, you really can't say post-Christian if 60 something percent of the people, if almost two thirds say they're Christian, it's hard to say post-Christian. But in Australia, you are now minority self-identified Christian and and even much lower practicing Christian. So I so I think that's that's a pretty big shift. And you can feel it not just in the secular realities that are hard to reach, but with the growth of secularism has come a companion growth in progressivism, where now Christians are you know, there's increasing questions about and hostility towards Christians. You you, you see that around issues of traditional Christian beliefs and practices. So I, I would say the, the continued rise of the continued secularization of the English speaking Western world, which certainly New Zealand would be the leader of, but um, when it comes to English speaking Western world, and, but Australia is right there. And then the second thing I would say, I mean, because you've had this already declining Christian self identification and declining religiosity, 
Like, so think of it as a decaying orbit around a planet. So the orbit's already decaying uh, little by little. But then like a meteor came in and struck that orbit. And, and that meteor that came in is COVID and the elongated shutdowns. So because, you know, for, for 2,000 years, Christians have been through pandemics. I mean, literally, you know, the plague of Cyprian is named after the bishop of Carthage, you know. So, so we know that Christianity actually flourished in these past times. But, and, and, but what's interesting is, is a thousand years ago, they didn't know what a germ or a virus was, but they knew that getting near people made more people sick. So people would, uh, we would call it social distancing, but people would distance themselves. Uh, what we didn't have happen in the past was this kind of you know, massive shutdown. And I know people will listen and say, well, I think we should have done this or that. And I, and I, I get that. It's, it's easy to look back and second guess. But the reality is in the midst of that decaying orbit, that meteor came in and struck and I still think the church in the West is spinning a bit, particularly in places that had longer shutdowns like, like Australia or like in my case, like in Illinois um, and California where I'm headed. I think there's still some spinning and we don't know quite what the new orbit is going to reset at. I think most of us know a few key things and I'm answering this too long, but I, I've been thinking about this as you can tell. I think most of us know a few things. Attendance has reset at a lower level. Um, there's still a significant number of people, some of whom we've even gotten more involved during the last few years. But there were people who were loosely connected, you know, those Christmas, Easter, and three, five, seven other times a year. And those people seem to have mostly disconnected, perhaps completely and permanently disconnected. So you already had this decaying orbit of Christian identification and religiosity now struck by this meteor that really we still don't know what the new orbit is going to reset at. And I think that's the question is why, where do we reset? Uh, and, and so, so again, I still incur questions about church planning, but much more secular environment, uh, more overtly pro secular and progressive. So the reset, when, when's your feeling about, we'll, we'll actually know the reset has settled. Yeah. Cause, well, cause Christ, I, I feel like it, yeah. it, it's 12 months ago. Yeah, um, like I don't. I don't still know not that, too distant, and there are parts of Australia where lockdown was a lot worse. So Melbourne, for example, yeah, Melbourne, a lot worse sure. than say Perth. Um, right. Other parts of Australia where yeah, same thing in the U.S. Like in in Illinois and where I live in California, where I'm moving, you know, big shutdown places. But Texas, they they didn't participate in the pandemic. They just kind of sat it out for the last <laughs> few years, been kissing each other on the mouth, you know. So it's so um, or, or do you, is it is it sense that. It has it has settled and and there has been well, a significant change. I don't know that it has. That I, I still think there's a question that still has to come, and we'll see that in the next few Easter's and Christmas, those times when those mm. loosely connected people come back, or do they? Because you know, during when I was at uh, the Moody Church, I was the interim at the Moody Church when the pandemic started, and actually I finished during shutdown. So for those listening in Australia, Moody Moody's a church in Chicago, yeah. quite a, quite a large uh, historical. Preaching church. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Harry Ironside, Warren Wearsby, Erwin Lutzer, sort of well-known preachers and pastors of the uh, past. Um, so, so it, you know, so, so I did a little research because Moody Church has is, is, is been around a long time. It was the largest extant still operating megachurch in the world. So, so, so the longest term as that when I was there. And um, so, so I, I wanted to look back and I have the records, the Moody Church records at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Archives. So, so we did a little look in, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it actually took about 18 months after kind of the end of what was a you know, couple year cycle in the Spanish flu epidemic for things to sort of reset back to normal. In other words, people, people sort of uh, still were, were the loosely connected people 
we're deciding if they're going to reconnect or not. So I, I don't know that we're at that new level yet. I still, I still think that we're still reeling a little bit from what that looks like. And it depends, you know, so I don't know what the, I haven't seen the NCLS data or, or even if the NCLS data is out. So I don't know what the, if, if the typical size of church has declined some or what percentage churches say that they're declined. We have some really great research projects going on like the Hartford, Hartford Institute, um, Scott Thumma and others. And we are actually, we can actually, and LifeWay Research has done some data. You know, we actually still are not back to pre-COVID attendance levels. And I, I still think it could come, but I think probably they're not coming back. And I think that's the thing. That's a bit the jarring reality. They're probably not coming back. So there's an impact on that on that fringe. Uh, yeah. Well, and I would say I would say the least involved. You know, fringe. I get. Yeah. There, there's certainly fringe involvement. Hmm. But what I would I typically divide it into thirds. So the front third, uh, which you know, if you're a Pentecostal, the front third always is the most. That's where they all the, the most involved people sit up front. So think of yourself as a Pentecostal just for a minute, Scott. <laughs> it's good for you. Um, so the front third, which was the most involved, seem to have in some ways gotten more involved. They have served more, they maybe they gave more. Second, third, not a lot of shifting. It's the back third. But if it's church of 100 people, and the back third's 33 people, because you can do the it's math. It's a significant loss. Well, but it's not, it, it is, but it's also like 33 people on a Sunday could mean 100 people hmm. or 150 people who sort of, you know, shift in and out of the life of the church, those low engagement people. So I think that's where the greatest loss will be, is the low engagement people, who are, who are nominally connected have probably disconnected, but I'm still not sure that that we know what that looks like. I want to I want to see what some of the research comes out, particularly around holidays. And again, I, I don't think the church defines itself by holidays, but that's when those low engagement people can re-engage in some ways. Because what you you would typically talk to most churches, encourage them to make the most of Christmas, For Easter, sure. and sure. then another another day during the course of the year. Yeah, and I don't know when this podcast is 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 coming out, but. But, you know, if it's coming out, you know, in and around before Easter or before Christmas, if, if I would make a significant run uh, at contacting every person who still was loosely connected pre-COVID, because you've probably got a list. They probably visited at some point. They're probably on a database somewhere. And so I just would, a quick email, I would hit them all. invite them. I would call them. Send, I mean, I would, yeah. I would even text them, call them, do yeah. some, something intentional to engage them and say, hey, this is a great time to come back and see what's happening at, you know, so-and-so Anglican church. I picked Anglican because it's Australia. So Now, I'm interested, what's the what's the impact then on church planning? So you've talked about the established church, yeah. people. Yeah. Low, that is fair. That is a question low, you asked. Yeah, low, low to yeah. come back. Yeah. Well, um, I would say, too, that, that with the decline of Christian identification, you know, most people who come to new churches in, in the Western world, um, already use the word Christian to describe themselves. Mm. Uh, De-churched. De-churched, but they still would say, you know, I'm a Christian because I'm not, I'm not a Muslim and I'm an atheist, I'm not Jewish. And so, but as that declines, um, I, I think that church planting can, and not that it did particularly much in Australia, and, and I would say too, Australia numerically is not that different from the Northeastern United States. Um, so in the Northeastern United States, in particularly English-speaking Western world, in Toronto for that matter, you're not drawing a net from nominally from nominal Christians much anyway. But what I would say is they were still disproportionately present. You know, the churches I've planted, the churches others have planted, have drawn from people who use the word Christian to describe themselves, and the church plant became a way for them to get engaged and involved, maybe become followers of Jesus. Maybe they used the term but didn't have that. So what I would say now is the likelihood is going to be more 
that we're going to be reaching secular people, um, most likely secular people, people of other religions or no religion, possible, but probably more likely secular people. So I, I think that that means um, how are we going? I mean, the days of, you know, it wasn't much ever in Australia, but, but you know, in the mid 80s in the United States, you could send out a mailer and do a phone campaign and 200 people show up. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty great. And, you know, and I, I, it wasn't that a few decades ago, you could do an evangelistic event in Australia and people would come and people would come to faith in Jesus. I don't think those no longer exist. You know, I was, uh, Will Graham, last time I texted Will Graham, he was doing some meetings here in, mm, in Hobart, in reg- I think. Yeah, regional centers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I still, people are coming to faith in Christ. But I think through church planting, it's going to be continue to be relational. Uh, I think apologetics are going to be probably be a, be, a, be a bigger part, not a smaller part. I think taking time with people on a spiritual journey is going to be part of that. I think if we're going to, a phrase that I took from you and have used all around the world, if we're going to evangelize new churches into existence, mm. though I changed it to a Z rather than an S at the end, a Z, <laughs> a Z rather than S. If we're going to evangelize new churches into existence and evangelism has changed because there's less nominal Christians, I think that's what we would expect. Church planning will take longer because uh, conversion and evangelism takes longer. Now, uh, there's there's been obviously a, a loss of momentum over the last few years with COVID. Totally, sure. We've seen, we've seen churches plateau and have kind of sketchy, uh, you know, malleable numbers on, on sketchy. attendance. Sketchy. We don't use sketchy the same way you do. <laughs> sketchy is like, those are where the bad people are. That's a sketchy. So, well, okay, so fair you, enough. You know, can, you, can you really trust online numbers? You know, we've, 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 yeah. kind of, we've made a guess. Yeah. Uh, speaking to church leaders who are not, you know, I guess, lacking confidence to go and plant churches, right. what, what would you say? Um, well, I, I think there should be a sobriety to that. I love the fact that you... Uh, worked with Life Research. Uh, I guess it was when I was there or when Scott yeah, was there. Yeah, it was I'm not sure we overlapped. Yeah. That was our, yeah. one of our last projects with you. Yeah, we did the research project looking at kind of a statistically validated model of church planning assessment. What does it look, what, is, what are what are successful church planners look like in Australia? Mm. So we, we had the privilege of doing that research. That was super fun. Um, so what I would say is I, 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 would, I would be careful in kind of our typical model of church planning. And, and, you know, I don't mean like the Western model. I mean like the model for 2000 years for most of that time has been somebody plants a church, the church grows, they eventually take on the leadership and might become staff at that church. Now, again, we're, I'm for all kinds of churches. I'm for micro churches. I'm for, you know, I'm for missional incarnational communities. I'm for co-vocational church planning, all that. But what I would say is if I were an established church pastor, I would really make sure and go through a robust assessment process to be sure that this is the right path and calling for me because church planning is a great joy. I want to, I, you know, I planted several churches. I want to plant one more. Donna, Donna is not yet convinced. Um, and so, uh, you know, she says, she says our, our church planning days are seven years behind us. I, the last church I planted was in Nashville when I, when I left Lifeway to come to Wheaton, I left the church I planted. Um, but, but what I would say is I would, I would approach it soberly. But I also think it's a great joy. And you know, this is a church planning, but we're talking to church planners, right? Mm-hmm. It's a church planning podcast. Yeah. So so I would I would um, be sure that I'm assessed well, trained well, and coached well. Because church planning is hard work. We already know that. And I think a lot of the stories that people tell about church planning, particularly the crazy success success stories, are 10, 15 years old. And I think you know, when you go to these church planning conferences, having just done a bunch of them, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-church planning conference, right? Uh, but sometimes people get up, you know, we, we have people speak at conferences because they were surprisingly successful. And so you could um, listen to these speakers 
and get an unrealistic expectation. I call it, I call it ministry pornography. Mm. It's an unrealistic depiction of an experience you're never going to have that distracts you from the real and very wonderful thing. And so let's not get distracted by unrealistic stories that maybe they happen, but they happen very infrequently. And let's instead recognize that church planning is a long, hard slog filled with wonderful joy and hopeful, hopeful uh, future and, and lots of, I hope, and I believe and I pray for conversions. And there's, I mean, one of the helpful things now in Australia, there's a number of, there's a number of church planning networks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and again, I'm not up. I know, I know Reach Australia because we've been friends for a long time. Acts 29, Acts 29 City to City now, City. actively mm-hmm. involved in Australia a lot more mm-hmm. than uh, they were when you were last here. Yeah, that was just getting uh, started when I was when I was last year. And Acts 29 had no presence here as well. And of course, denominations have. That's know, what church. I was going to say as well. Right. It, there's a number of denominations yeah. also. Uh, yeah, and I would say too, I think that as the culture becomes more secular, church planning becomes a more natural uh, outgrowth of that. So I think it's great that we're, you know, I just did these meetings in, in uh, Brisbane and Melbourne and, and uh, Sydney. And then they're going on to what to Adelaide and Perth and and uh, and I think Tasmania and I think it's great even New Zealand um, I think it's great because I think we need more not less church planting particularly in the increasingly secular environment. Now you're also you've also been involved in seeing revitalization happen as well yeah. over the last few years. But this is not a revitalization podcast. No, it's it? not. But okay. but, 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 but it's important for church planners to also yeah. know that there's there's established churches out there as well. Yeah, didn't I do like when I came out for you? Wasn't well, we did a revitalization yeah, seminar? We did some, yeah, yeah. two hundred breaking the two hundred barrier. Breaking the two hundred barrier. That's right. Which I later developed into a course, which was super fun. Oh, so, and yeah. I still use the slide in that oh, nice. with, with a whole bunch of church leaders. And like they, like the and they're still taking the photo of it. Like that one where it's like how many leaders needed each level. Everybody and, loves that. And you know what they want? Yeah. They keep saying, can you do the 300 one and the 400 one? Yeah. Have you done it first? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. But but okay. uh, Gary, Gary McIntosh has. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and some of Carl George has. Gary's on my faculty at, at Talbot. So okay. I'm excited about Well, maybe I need to give him a call and say, can you just add the other two calls? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, yeah, but it's a 200 barrier thing. But people <laughs> do love that. Do love that chart. And just so people know, because they can't see the chart, it basically talks about how at each level, I went from 35 to 75 to 125 to 200, how many... Um, leaders you need, how many volunteers you need. And then as you get to 125, how many leaders of leaders do you need? And and then kind of frame that out. Because I think that's the distinction is, is, you know, church of 35, you need a handful of volunteers. And that's great because you do all those things. But you get 75, you need uh, you need to be a leader of leader. You need a couple of the leaders and you need more volunteers. 125, even more goes on from there. Now, COVID was a great opportunity to uh, try new things, start new things. We obviously saw the prevalence of live streaming online church. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about that? And, it, and you know, it, we've never talked about this, so we may be on a totally different. I know, page. I know, which is okay. Yeah, it's all right. Sorry, you were allowed to not share the exact same opinion. Well, that's, we, that's who knows? Good. We might actually have the I same opinion. So, so um, I think that online ministry and uh, online worship and online church are wonderful as long as they are a tool and not the goal. So, I think, I think. Um, and again, this is where uh, people that I love, you know, I, I, I'm the editor and chief of Outreach Magazine, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we're always affirming, you know, I mean, it's a look at this great new idea. You know, I think we're doing an article on vertical church, I'm mean, not vertical, virtual church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so, you know, there are people who are doing things that, but for me, um, I think that the countercultural value of community involving feet and faces, not just electrons and avatars is important, but I think as a tool, it's great. Because, I mean, think of all the ways we share prayer requests. We can do additional things. We can do a hundred things that are really good. But I think church 
should um, push against just in so many ways like repentance and, and, uh, and, you know, and growth and giving and generosity. These are all things that push against the way the world is. The mm. world is rushing towards disembodied community. Mm. And I think we should instead focus on proximate local community and use online as a tool, but not the ultimate goal. Oh, well, that's a disappointing uh, answer because I, I got to agree with you. All. Yo, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, all right, oh, good. good, good, good. I mean, it's it's been so it's been so good to get back together, and and through the pandemic in our church, we did a building project, and uh, and and we were meeting in some rented premises, and they were fine, and they were good, yeah. and very thankful for them. But gee whiz, it's it's so great to be back in our building because it, it it's been designed to be a space to allow yeah. us as a community to gather before church, after church. And actually, to welcome the community. No, I love well. that. And so, I, when I was here, I did. Um, you know, when I'm on, when I'm somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm preaching at some fun churches that you know. You yep. know, love Guy Mason, City on a Hill, and Justin Moffat at. Uh, I don't even know the name of the church. Churchill, church. but there's like, there's like seven. Yeah, he's names. got a, he's got a number of names in that. Like church. it's 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 York Street, St. Philip's, Garrison Church, Churchill. Yeah. Oh yeah, Garrison Church. I forgot about Garrison. Yeah, church. Garrison Church. Yeah. So it's the oldest parish in Australia. They got the Fleet Bible in there. My daughter got to see the Fleet Bible. So I know they're super fun, but I had a free Sunday. So I uh, asked my friend, John Dixon, I said, I'd love to preach at a small church. And I went to uh, French's, French's Forest. Forest Anglican Church, which was super fun. But what I loved about it was you basically had to kick the people out. So we had to go because he had a uh, he had an annual general meeting that the Anglicans yep. do. So, so, and he made it one minute in time. He's a great guy, Dave's a great guy. Uh, but, you know, people were just hanging around. They were in community with one another. And what I would say is, I, let me be crystal clear, because, you know, someone hears and people say, well, what about her actually? Um, so I, I think there are circumstances and situations, you know, persons with disabilities. There's a hundred reasons we'd want to have these availabilities. And, and even just in general, it's a good thing to let people check out your church before they come to your church. But but I think again the goal the goal should be proximate, in person community. You know, and, and I think one of the things that a lot of American pastors uh, learned is that you know when you when you over communicate the goodness of like oh church never canceled. You know, one, some wonderful pastors said that you know our church never canceled. We just moved online. I think you kind of teach people that that's just as good, and it's mm. not. And so what I think a better way to communicate it would be that we're adopting a, a temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission. And that's the language I've actually used. It's like on a slide. So I'm picturing my slide, temporarily deficient ecclesiology. This is not what it should be. Hmm. Now this is, you know, two years ago now for hmm. a lot of places, maybe more, uh, not for Melbourne, uh, but temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission so that we taught people, just as you experienced when your church came back together, the beauty of that, hmm. It was a wonderful thing. Um, what I would say is, is when you, if you overemphasize so much, and I think a lot of pastors did, and what they taught people to do is to go watch the online pastor who was a better preacher than them anyway. So I think that's I think we need to call people to proximate physical community. And what I say right now, my seminar on post-COVID missiology is we should elevate our ecclesiology and engage the mission. Those are my two points of mm. my post-COVID missiology. Elevate our ecclesiology and engage the mission. Which I imagine they would have been your pre your pre COVID ecclesiology as well. Yeah, I would say too. But I think I think the uh, the the meteor hitting the the decaying orbit really knocked some people yeah. in a positive way, where some people stood up, stood out, and stand in the gap. And I want to normalize the new label and involvement and mission that a lot of people have. I think that's a that's one of the one of the good things that came out of that. Some people just said we're gonna we're gonna stand up, stand out, and I loved it. Hmm.
Well, Ed, it's been great having you on The One Thing. The One uh, Thing. Now, what's the one thing you want to say about the changes you've seen in church planting in Australia between now and eight years ago? Church planters need courage as secularism and progressivism continue to rise. It is, it's been good hanging out and uh, great to, uh, again, hear your passion for the local church and your passion to see Jesus uh, and his name all over the place. Chat soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I definitely enjoyed catching up with Ed. It's been a while uh, between having uh, podcast conversations but also just catching up as, uh, as friends and uh, ministry mates. Uh, if you're wanting to find out more about planting, can I encourage you to head to the Reach Australia website, reachaustralia.com.au. Uh, hit the plant drop down and you can find all about our assessment process, uh, our coaching and what it looks like to be supported by the Reach Australia Network to see a new church launched. Uh, if you're an established church, hopefully you've been encouraged to think about, well, what are my next steps towards planting? Uh, our consulting process is all about growth. It's all about change. And it's all about helping you think about multiplication and how to move your church towards those next steps of starting something new, starting a new congregation or uh, starting a campus uh, or sending out a church plant. If you want to find out more, again, head to the Reach Australia website uh, and click on one of the links and someone from our team will get in contact. Uh, we want to be a network of healthy evangelistic multiplying churches all across Australia and we reckon we're better together. So reach out to the website, uh, ask your questions and we'll hopefully be able to connect you with uh, like-minded churches all across Australia. I'm Scott Sanders. Chat soon. Mm-hmm.